Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. This is Crystal Graham. I'm joined by AFP editor Chris Graham, and we are going to monitor this. This is the first time we've gone Facebook Live in a while, but we thought today was a good day to talk about the election results and the pending results in Waynesboro. So I thought we'd start there, Chris, since obviously that's still an election that is too close to call. That's a phrase that we used a lot uh, in the election, last election cycle two years ago, but uh, for local elections, it's one of the first times that we've had to say that. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, and I'm gonna let you break them down for us. But part of the reason, of course, is the uh, fact that people were allowed to register on election day and cast a provisional ballot. And then also because these elections are close, uh, we're waiting on mail-in ballots that were postmarked by election day. So Chris, if you wanna break down a little bit about what happened in Waynesboro, we had two local city council races and one school board race. That was- Hey, you're right. I've been waiting for years to say an election is too close to call. Uh, we A local election that is, we, we've never had one. You're right that I can recall in the 25 years I've been doing uh, local election coverage here in the in the valley uh, in Waynesboro. Yeah, there were two city council races, uh, you know, and, and also complicating a factor, uh, Crystal, in the, in, the, in the races. Waynesboro had races in Ward C and Ward D this year. And so this is the first time that Waynesboro had uh, a November local election. Uh, Waynesboro traditionally had May city council and school board elections. Uh, this is the first year with a November election. Uh, and then also, it's the first time that Waynesboro, no, Waynesboro seats its city council by ward. Stanton, which we'll talk about a little later, uh, has uh, a city council and school board with all of the seats being at large. So you can live anywhere in the city and, and run for city council. And, and then you what, what voters do is they vote for their top three or four candidates in different cycles. Uh, Waynesboro for many, many years, uh, I think dating all the way back to the beginning of the city back in 1948, uh, has seated by ward, but everybody in the city could vote for the, the candidates in each ward. And then there's also an at-large seat. And so this is the first year that Waynesboro, um, the vote, uh, the, only the voters in the ward can vote for the city council or school board candidate in that ward. So there's a couple of complicating factors in addition to then, yeah, the same day registration, uh, which leads to provisional ballots and all those mail-in ballots uh, that can be – as long as they're postmarked by election day, um, they'll come in uh, all the way up till next Monday, uh, and uh, uh, they can still be counted in the election. So that all said, then we had two city council elections and all this stuff going on. Where uh, we had very close results uh, in Ward C, uh, Kenny Lee. Uh, that seat is open, by the way. The mayor Bobby Henderson is, is stepping down after one term. Uh, independent Kenny Lee has a 57 vote lead over the Republican nominee Jeremy Sloat. 57 votes. It's about I think it was three percent, close to three percent or so, but 57 votes with, as we know, Crystal was the number 64 pr provisional ballots. Uh, so 65 provisional ballots. I do have, I, I spoke with the registrar for Waynesboro, uh, Lisa Jeffers last night, and she said 65, but she also said she was still crunching numbers last night. So I did put a follow up into her today and waiting to hear back from her. Some of the things I want to know are uh, 
you know, the total number of provisional ballots that, you know, that the electoral board will have to review. And if she can, I'm looking for a breakdown by ward, right? So as you're talking about these races that we see how tight they are, that could be interesting as well. So I do have a call into her regarding those numbers. Yeah, 65 provisional ballots, but that's not just in ward C or in ward D, that's a citywide number. So yeah, the, the number per the per ward, because wards A and B, um, th- there could be votes there that won't impact either of the, the, the two city council races. Um, also, we don't have in your asking, you've asked uh, the, the registrar uh, for information on the number of mail-in ballots that are expected back. I think I've seen a number on the uh, uh, VPAP website. We don't know, you know, how, 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 you know, how updated that is, what she's expecting in terms of possible numbers that could be coming in between now and again next Monday at noon. Right. And um, I wanted to confirm that because that's what she told me last night. But I did ask her to confirm that because I did hear some other areas saying they were only going to accept them through like Friday. Um, so I did put a call well, to confirm that state laws. The state law does say that it's, it's through Monday at noon. Okay. So, and then um, the other thing that I asked her about, too, Chris, was um, the total number of uh, ballots requested by mail. I have the number as far as how many were actually returned, because that gives you a potential of what could you know, arrive. Um, and then, I, you know, one of the questions I asked her, and I don't know if she'll give me an answer to this, but one of the questions I asked her was how many ballots did they receive today by mail, right? Because that might give you an idea of what might come in then, you know, in subsequent days as well. So who knows, but it, it never hurts to ask the question. Well, you know, I can actually look this up real quick. Um, there was an early voting dashboard uh, on vpap.org, the uh, Virginia Public Access Project, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm pulling it up right now um to see because they actually did a great job and i'd recommend anybody who's interested in election stuff to really go right now it says uh as of um as of monday uh there were 1807 in-person votes in waynesboro there were 761 uh, mail votes that had already been returned to the office as of uh actually election day uh and then there were still, according to VPAP, 176 mail ballot applications not returned. So it's hard to say whether that's a number we expect to come back. That's the number that could come back. And again, that's a citywide number, not specific to one one of the wards. So, so you talked about Kenny Lee and the fact that, you know, there's some 50 some votes that separate him and his opponent. And then, you know, and I know you're going to talk about Ward D as well, but, you know, 20 votes separate that. So 21 votes, right? Right. 21 votes. Correct. Sam Hostetter, the incumbent in Ward D, he actually was running for re-election. Uh, his first term, he was elected in 2018. Sam, uh, uh, the uh, independent uh, incumbent, uh, and um, Jim Wood, the Republican nominee and the challenger, Jim Wood actually with a 21 vote lead. Now, obviously, that's much closer. That's that's within one percent uh, of, of difference. There it was a 1117 to 1096 was the total number of votes for each of those two candidates. And so as a result, yeah, that race there um, certainly. I mean, you know, if if for if we would guess that the number of uh, provisional ballots were evenly distributed across the city. 65 would equal 16 roughly for each of the four wards. We don't know that number, but that's just kind of giving you an idea of the ballpark here. Uh, Chris, I don't then, want to interrupt you, but I do have a question real quick. Do oh, you sure. still have those VPAP numbers up? Uh, I think I do. Yeah. Okay. So here was my question about this. Um, when I, what were the numbers that you showed were received by mail and processed through election day that according to their site? 761. Okay, because I looked at specifically just to get the rough number, I looked at um, 
the the sixth district congressional race because it was really easy to get that number right about how many people had voted in that that way yes. they had the number of 756 so there's a but some people may have chosen not to vote in that so so it does seem like that number lined up i just from, from memory from hearing what you said and remembering what i had asked you know the local registrar i wanted to make sure those numbers were close you know that they matched up so thank you for clarifying that yeah, and uh, when I look here, uh, actually VPAP again does a great job. They uh, they obviously have a contact. Maybe the I have to guess that maybe the registrar's offices uh, have to report this number to the state, and then all V and what VPAP does is then make it easily accessible. But according to VPAP, on uh, this will be Monday, um, there were fourteen mail votes that were processed uh, by the office, and then there were twelve on Tuesday, and again one hundred and seventy six not returned. So we don't. That's the total number that still could be outstanding. That doesn't mean that they're all going to come back between now and the deadline and, you know, that they'll be counted and then we don't know where they'll go. But that's 176 that still could be out there. So between 176 and then the 65, that's uh, 241 votes that still could be out there. Uh, and uh, that would be roughly 60 per ward. So that's why we're putting the ward C race, which is a 57 vote difference, as a possible uh, too close to call kind of situation. And then certainly the Ward D race with a 21 vote discrepancy right now, um, those two races are very much within the realm of if things go a certain way, they could, you know, the, the votes that still could be outstanding and come in could impact, uh, uh, you know, the election night winner may not be the winner on Monday next week. It's next Monday at two o'clock when the electoral board meets um, to do its canvas of the election and then do its job certifying the results to the state. Of course, the state then, the state board of elections has to give the final certification later on. Right. And I, I do look on the BPAP website and they've actually declared Kenny Lee the winner. They're uh, not showing that one still up in the air. But again, just knowing what we know on the local level, uh, it seems like that's a, um, maybe that we ought to hold off on that one as well. Oh, there's no doubt about the fact. Yeah, VPAP at the state level, they they wouldn't maybe have a, a handle on these kind of local details. Right. They do have the war D too close to call. They they haven't made any call in that one. But yeah, so there's a lot of information in the, you know, there's there's no there's no real indicator right now. I think you said last night, Chris, that you felt like whoever kind of had the advantage on election night certainly has the advantage going forward. Um, but certainly because there's potentially um, these outstanding votes. I, I did also ask the registrar, and again, I'm waiting for this information for a follow-up article, but I did ask her as well about the provisional ballots. You know, again, like you mentioned earlier, Chris, you know, for the first time you could actually register on election day, you could fill out a registration form, a voter registration form, and then cast a provisional ballot. My guess is there might've been some provisional ballots, uh, you know, that were, that were done a day or two before, you know, after the voter registration, the technical cutoff date, um, if you had gone into like vote early, you would have done the same process. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get a feel for where those came in, if they were actually election day, ahead of election day, you know, if there's anything that I'm not thinking about, but maybe I know sometimes like if you go to a ward and you're not registered in that ward, maybe because you recently moved or something like that, that sometimes you'll have to cast a provisional ballot in that case and stuff too. And Chris, I think you've actually sat in on one of these electoral board, board meetings like in the past. Do you remember kind of how this process goes like as they look through provisional ballots like who's there and how you know just how it feels and how that process goes the electoral board is a three-person board uh it's uh the the majority goes to the party um that has won the governor's race so uh, there would be two republicans and one democrat 
uh, on the board. I mean, when I say Republicans and Democrat, they're people appointed. You know, the two two members who, who are Republicans are are appointed by the um, Dem- uh, the Republican Party chair, the local Republican Party chair. The one person from the Democratic side is appointed by the local Democratic Party chair. Um, that all said, uh, you know, um, you know, they, 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 they're, they're three people, they're three local residents They're you know, they have to live in the city of Waynesboro in the, in the case of Waynesboro's electoral board. Um, uh, and there's also the registrar, um, you know, maybe a registrar assistant if the case may be, I can't remember if there was an assistant in the one I, I sat in, in 2008. Uh, so that's been a while, um, the 2008 uh, presidential election after the presidential election, um, and they'll go through the provisional ballots. Basically, they're they're all sealed. Uh, from what I remember, they were actually, you know, they the vote was cast by the person at the polling place. Uh, it was put into to a seal, so it couldn't be counted. Um, and then, uh, you know, the registrar would present, uh, uh, you know, the the information about the person why they passed a provisional ballot. Um, you know, back then we didn't have same day registration. I imagine a lot of these, or if not the vast majority of these, would be the same day registrations. Uh, back then, it was the you know the issues would be things like uh, I don't know what ward I'm supposed to vote in. I was told to vote here, even though my register or you know things of that nature. Um, and uh, for the most, I think the day I sat in, there were maybe fifteen or twenty, and I don't remember that the the board didn't accept any of the votes. Um, there may have been one or two, but I, I was there the whole time, and I don't remember there being any that weren't accepted. So, um, but it's a pro, you know, they go through each vote and and kind of you know go through the particulars of why this person cast a provisional vote. So, um, my guess is that uh, you know it's it's a fairly straightforward process, and still would be. Um, and- so, if that's the case, Chris, I just want to get your opinion on this too, because um, my. Uh, early numbers when they came in were from in-person voting done yesterday. And those numbers tended to, the when those numbers were first released before the mail-in ballots and the early voting numbers came in, it seemed that the Republicans were ahead in most of the local elections. Now, I want to I want to step back for one second and just say typically in local elections most of the time there is no party declared right you know in Stanton you didn't see parties even if you kind of know where people are you don't usually see an R or a D by somebody's name but in this case the two city council candidates did get those R by their names I don't think the school board candidate did I think she was endorsed later so I don't well think- it's because school and uh, Virginia law does not allow the the uh, the Republican Party endorsed the candidate Amber Lipscomb who won that race in Ward uh, Ward D. Um, but the the, uh, the, um, the state law does not allow school board okay. candidates to get nominated. You have to you have to go through the process. There's no okay. law re- uh, requiring people to run for city councils or boards of supervisors or town councils in Virginia with a party nomination. But parties can nominate, and I think in okay. Stanton that they actually the Republicans do. I don't know that the Democrats do, but the Republicans I think in this cycle did as well. Okay, so then, so what I was going to ask you related to that, Chris, is we know that there, you know, if that number stands true, the number that the registrar gave me last night was 65 votes in Waynesboro, 65 provisional votes that were waiting to be looked at by the electoral board, assuming that those 65 go through, assuming that the majority of those are people who turned out to in-person voting yesterday, then it's possible that that would skew more towards the Republican candidates just based on the data that we had initially about in-person voting. Um, That does not account for, of course, if um, we don't know what ward those people were in. You know, it could have been that they were there primarily to vote for the congressional race. It also doesn't account for, you know, that other number that were missing, which is the mail-in ballots that come in, you know, after election day, but that are still postmarked by election day. We don't have any numbers on what that might look like. But if you said that there were like 14, you know, the day of the election or the day before, um, then we could presume, you know, 
you know, that it's going to be a small number. We could, uh, you know, there were there were 176 of those uh, ballots that were requested uh, that have not been returned. Now, those people could have decided to go vote in person. Uh, so there may be very few of those still out there. Um, they could be things that people put in the mail over the weekend and just hadn't gotten there yesterday. Um, the mail is slow, as we know, right, uh, in this day and age. So we don't know. Uh, we'll, you know. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, we're not going to have all 176 of those returned by next Monday at noon. Um, but, uh, yeah, that that's why, you know, that's probably why in Ward C, Kenny Lee, I mean, if, if, I, if I'm Kenny Lee right now, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling re- I'm probably really good about where I am. Uh, I'm not 100 percent certain that I'm the, the city councilman elect from that district, but I'm 99 percent certain that I am. But in the other race, I, I think that there's still, uh, you know, the, with the fact that it's a 21 vote discrepancy, um, and uh, you know, there, I, I, I think both candidates are probably right at this point. Neither has uh, either conceded or declared victory, which is a little bit of a surprise. And with Jim Wood, particularly, he's a you know, you know a rabid MAGA Trumper who actually uh, is a very vocal election denier. I, w- I would have assumed he would have declared victory and you know, c- kind of done the. Carrie Lake thing out in Arizona. She's losing actually in Arizona and she's already throwing conspiracy theories out there. So, um, but he's actually been pretty responsible about this, at least to the point of not commenting or trying to declare victory. Um, I know Wednesdays are his day to do his, his Facebook live. So maybe he'll do that tonight. He's saving that for Facebook tonight, but no, it's a 20, it's a 21 vote uh, margin. So, um, you know, that could change. And plus, I mean, the canvas uh, on Monday, if any math was done wrong, which I, you know, I didn't check the math on each of the adding up the three words and that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's hu- human errors possible. So who knows, but, um, and we've you know, seen that before a few votes here or there. That yeah, exactly. Up. It's possible. It's, you know, it's, and and then also there's the chance that, you know, Sam, Sam Hostetter, the, if he's still behind, it's a close, I mean, this is a close margin. It's within a point right now. Um, there are options in state law to allow for a okay. recount. That's what I wanted to ask you about, Chris. So um, if we're in with those margins, how does that, how do you've been in politics, covering politics for such a long time now? Um, how does that work? You know, is it automatic within a certain level and can the candidates still request it? And if they do request it, is it just a matter of like, do they actually insert the numbers? Like, you know, in Waynesboro, you actually fill in a paper ballot, you fill in a little bubble and it goes through, you know, the Scantron machines like they did in high school to tell you, hey, you got, you know, this this result on your test or whatever, right? So it's like a Scantron machine. So do they just put those back through again or do they just reprint the numbers from the machines? Like, what do you know about how that process works? My assumption would be, I, I don't know about that part of the process. Now, as far as when a recount is triggered, I think I think the state law, I'm almost certain that the state law, at least it, it was in the past, if it's within a half point, um, it's something that uh, is is the, 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 the candidate who's trailing can request it. And it's actually something that the, the electoral board has to do at its own cost or at the state's cost, I guess it would be called. Anything outside of a half percent, I believe this is the case, uh, is something that the campaign would have to pay for. I don't know what the cost of that would be. Um, you know, it's, it's time, basically, kind of like when you make a, a Freedom of Information Act request, you have to pay for time. So it, 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 I'm sure the cost would be marginal as far as that goes. My assumption is because when, you know, localities have their own system, you know, varying systems out there that they go through. Yeah, you you explained the process. Well, uh, Waynesboro, you know, we we fill out uh, an oval and we stick it, they stick it in the machine. 
my assumption would be they've got to get all those ballots and put them back through the machines. I mean, I can't just I can't imagine that a recount would be simply let's retabulate, you know, the 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 votes. I think you'd have to, you know, actually get we ha- there's a pa- reason we have a paper record. You know, Waynesboro's previous voting machines before I want to say it was 2020, so it was maybe the last cycle would have been 2019, the state cycle. Um, we had, uh, you know, electron, f- fully electronic voting. You pushed a button, and then it, you know, you, you, whatever buttons on the machine that you needed to push for that election, then you pushed another one to say, you know, cast your votes, uh, and then that was it. So there's not, there was nothing to actually recount. It was just a computer kind of thing. Now there's a, I think the reason we have, you know, the Waynesboro and other localities that that have done this have paper is so that. When you request a recount, they have to use the paper. So I don't think you got to, you know, actually have people looking at the paper. I'm holding my hand like I'm looking at a paper. I mean, we're on a, no know, hanging chads or any crazy yeah, stuff like no that. No hanging chads. Or, but I don't think you have to actually chads. look at it and say, okay, this one went. Th-. You still feed them through the machine. But still, I think you have to, I mean, it's, it makes sense that you would physically have to feed them through the machine again. Okay, so Chris, I, I promise those people that are listening in, interested in talking about Stanton or Augusta County, even statewide we, and nationwide, we are going to get to that. Um, but I did want to ask you one question. You know, Jim Wood, who ran against Terry Short the last election cycle, fell short um, in that bid. What do you think changed? I mean, you know, Sam, here he is, you know, running for re-election, um, someone who uh, you know, I know the way that the city votes changed, and maybe that played a factor in the fact that it was only the ward that voted versus citywide. But I, I'm just curious, as someone who's covered politics for a long time, like what you think changed um, from one election cycle to the next? I have to assume it's the um, the wards uh, wards voting change. Uh, you know, he ran two years ago at large. Now, Waynesboro is an interesting city. Most cities, not just in Virginia, but in the country, most cities tend to, 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 to skew Democratic. Um, we'll talk about Stanton in, in a few minutes. Stanton um, uh, voted for, uh, uh, at the congressional level, voted for Jennifer Lewis, a Democratic nominee, in her race against Ben Klein by a close to, uh, she got, co- got close to 60% of the vote there. Um, and, and Democrats, Demo- or the the left leaning candidates at least uh, for both the school board and city council swept the the races yesterday in their at large election. Um, Stanton is like most cities uh, in in Virginia and the na- nation. Waynesboro skews a little right. Um, we looked if you look at the numbers for the the Ben Klein Jennifer Lewis race. Klein got 55% of the vote here in Waynesboro. Waynesboro, you know, one thing Waynesboro is it does not have a college. Most cities have even like Stanton to our west has Mary Baldwin University. It's a small school, but it's still it's it's college and co- college vote uh the, you know the kids who go to school, the faculty tends to you know skew uh, left. So um you have you have uh, that kind of thing going on. Waynesboro does not have a college. That's we're rare in that respect too. I mean, you know, you go a hundred miles in any direction of us, every other city's got a college, at least something. Um, we don't have a college, so there. I think there's a factor there. Waynesboro's also got this long history of having been a manufacturing town, even though that's gone away and has been a, a, out of the area for the last twenty or thirty years. We have that history here. So um, this city has 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 trended right on the political spectrum for a long, long time. Uh, and so that said, it's more of a surprise that he lost in 2020 than that he won in 2022. Um, also, the Ward D, the, the the ward that he is running to represent and has the 21 vote lead in right now, uh, does tend to be the one of the wealthier parts of the city. Um, and and 
you know, the, the neighborhoods that are represented there are, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of uh, upper middle class homes. And so uh, upper middle class is it, Waynesboro is um, uh, a very white town, uh, 84% white, uh, I think 12% African-American. The African-American voters tend to be more in Ward C, where Kenny Lee, the African-American candidate there, won the is uh, presumed to win the election. Uh, and also in Ward A, which has an election coming up in, in a couple of years, which will be very interesting right now. That's that ward is represented by a Republican, Lana Williams, who I don't think will have much of a chance to win re-election when she runs in 2024 because of the fact that we have the ward specific voting. Um, but the the Ward D is very white and very wealthy. And so white, wealthy people tend to vote Republican. Okay, so we've broken down Waynesboro a whole lot. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is if you are interested in following this is to continue to follow Augusta Free Press. Again, we do have some questions into the registrar today that we're hoping to have a story for you later tonight or tomorrow. And it sounds like, you know, we aren't going to have any final numbers in that till Monday. And so, of course, on Monday, we'll be sure to bring you the breakdown. And as those results are certified, we'll be able to give you, you know, who actually won in those close city council races as well, especially in Ward D. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit, Chris, to Stanton. We're going to go there next because, of course, the Augusta County Courthouse issue was a pretty big blowout in one direction, but we will get there. And we'll also talk about the congressional race between Ben Klein and Jennifer Lewis here in a little bit, and then the midterms as a whole and how they affect the nation. So we've got a lot to talk about. So we're going to move on to Stanton. Um, not nearly as close there. You know, we were definitely able to call the election last night. Chris, I'll let you talk a little bit about um, the winners this cycle and the losers, so to speak. And I hate to say losers because, of course, running for city council, as you know, Chris, um, is a tremendous um, uh, amount of time that you commit and that kind of thing as well. But, you know, unfortunately, there are winners, there are losers. Um, and, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about that. And then I also would love for you to touch on the difference between two years ago, because what happened was that you said a city like Stanton that has a college tends to lend, lean itself to be a little bit more liberal, a little bit more progressive. Um, but the candidates that were elected the last cycle broke that trend. And it seemed with this election cycle that we went a little back to the norm in Stanton. So I'm hoping you can talk about that as well. Yeah, at the city council level, the uh, there were actually six candidates for three seats. Uh, uh, Stanton has a seven-member city council. Uh, two years ago, four seats were up. This cycle, three seats were up. So again, in two years, the four seats will be back up. Um, there were four uh, candidates uh, running among the six who would, if if you if you identify them, you'd identify them as the Democrats in the race. And there were two who were the Republicans. The two Republicans finished fifth and sixth, uh, Yvonne Wilson and Ted Lawhorn. Uh, that meant one of the Democrats had to lose. And, and to me, it was a little surprising that the uh, the person who came in fourth was actually a former two-term city council member, Eric Curran. He came in fourth and actually a pretty distant fourth among those four. Um, the, the winners were Michelle Edwards, Alice Woods, Brad Arrowwood. Uh, and Michelle Edwards, uh, like Eric Curran, Eric Curran had run for the House of Delegates. I think his, his uh, campaign was in 2009. He ran for the 20th District House of Delegates seat. Uh, Michelle Edwards ran in, I think it was 2017. It actually ran pretty well in the district, which is a district that you know is is drawn to be a very Republican friendly district. She got somewhere around 46, 47 percent of the vote in that race. I believe it was against John Avoli his last his last term. Not John Avoli, I'm sorry, Dickie Bell his last term. Um, 
And so Edwards is someone known locally politically, and, and she got the most votes So uh, in, in this race uh, yesterday. So the, uh, the, the, the four Democratic identified, that I, I would identify as Democrats, um, ran at the top. But three, the three winners there, again, were Michelle Edwards, Alice Woods, and Brad Arrowwood. Similar dynamic on the uh, school board in the school board race. Um, there were two candidates, John Wilson and uh, Lisa Blackburn Hatter, who were the Republican-backed uh, candidates. Uh, and uh, John Wilson was the loudest of of those two, uh, and he finished fifth, um, at a distant fifth. Uh, Blackburn Hatter actually, for a good part of the night, was uh, running in the top three, but she ended up finishing close to 600 votes behind the third place finisher who was Stephanie Mason, also elected were Kristen Siegel and Fontella L. Brown Bundy. Uh, a, a sort of big issue in this race uh, had been uh, the discussion uh, initiated by John Wilson and Lisa Blackburn Hatter, who are big supporters of weekday religious education, a very fundamentalist cr Christian uh, initiative that uh, involves taking kids physically out of school, off school property, and then giving them an hour a week, I think it is, of of education off school grounds uh, in in fundamentalist Christian religion, um, and uh, the the three candidates who won um, are people who were opposed to that, and the two who ran um, very much in favor, among other things. You know, also John Wilson talked about critical race theory and some other nonsense things from the right. So um, those two candidates, again, yeah, they they you know those at the city, at the school board level didn't do well. The two Republicans uh, who were running for the city council who were, you know, big Trump backers, they they didn't do well either. Uh, and actually, I, I got it a little wrong. Jennifer Lewis got 55.7% of the vote, not 60%. So she, but she outpolled by 1000 votes Ben Klein in the city, there were actually 9000 votes cast yesterday, really good turnout for a midterm election in Stanton. So what changed, Chris, between the last cycle? You know, there was definitely momentum there. There was a big effort uh, by conservatives in that cycle to get conservatives on city council and stand. And I think, you know, as election observers, as members of the media, even we were shocked when that succeeded in Stanton because the precedent for so many years had been to elect people that tended to lean a little more left. So what do you think changed? I think a big thing was turnout. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to pull the numbers up here real quick, real quick, because the question you ask is a really good one. Um, when I saw those numbers there, the overall number of um, being, I'm going to pull it up here real quick. The uh, Stanton, uh, just give me a second. I want, I want to be able to compare the numbers here. City Council in 2020. So I saw 9,000 votes were cast uh, citywide. There were closer to 4,000 votes cast. Now, that was a May election, just like in Waynesboro. Uh, the city elections were were have traditionally been held in Stanton in May. Now they're in November. So instead of it looked like 4,000 people voting, you had uh, you had you know 9,000 people voting, so a lot more turnout. It was because it was a November election. That's, you know, November elections get more turnout, even midterms that don't have anything sexy on the ballot. No, no Senate race in Virginia this year. Midterm means there's no presidential race. Still great turnout. Um, but I think also, you know, back in 2020, Republicans, local Republicans were energized. That was, if you think about that year, it was uh, May 2020 was right at the sort of the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and also it was on the heels of uh, the that that winter. Um, there was a lot of uh, push in Virginia related to Second Amendment sanctuary status, you know, that that generated movement by the right to try to you know build a campaign issue for the fall election that year, the presidential election that year. 
Um, and uh, so there was, you know, and and Republicans were energized. And I remember talking to some of the uh, I talked to Eric Curran was one of the people who lost that year. Uh, the guy who ran again this year and finished fourth. Uh, Eric, uh, I, you know, I, I said to Eric, I felt like that uh dem- the, the the democratic leaning candidates in 2020 took things for granted that hey we're you know stands the democratic city we're always going to win and he conceded that yeah maybe that that was definitely the case that you know the 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 left the center left and left uh in Stanton that year just kind of assumed that they were going to win in fact that november uh joe biden got uh, I think it was fifty eight percent of the vote in Stanton. So I mean, it, that was it was only the May election that year in twenty twenty where Stanton took the rightward tilt for just a you know basically one day. But uh, uh, yeah, that that that's what happened. That you're, you're stuck with that for four years. Then you know, and right. so um, you know now you know in twenty twenty two Stanton the local elections went back to where they've been for many many years and. You know, the 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 quartet, Andrea Oaks, uh, Mark Robertson, Amy Darby and Stephen Claffey um, probably aren't feeling really good right now about their chances to get reelected in 2024 what, from what they saw uh, in the results last night. So um, AFP reporter and editor uh, Rebecca Barnaby is going to be looking a little bit about those numbers about turnout, you know, the the change from the May to the November elections and how that impacted things. That was a change made. Um at the statewide level, right? That we had to that we had to make that that mandate was made, and so there was no choice in that matter. You know, the localities didn't have a choice in that matter. It was just something that that had to happen. And so, as a result, you know, a couple of council members' terms were extended just a little bit, that kind of thing, because the election was bumped. But it will be interesting, um, Chris, to see um, if that if perhaps that's exactly what you're talking about. That the voter numbers, because they were higher. Um, perhaps changed uh, what would normally be a city election and the expectations there, because, you know, we've been, we've covered politics for a long time. We've probably both voted since we were 18, you know, Um, and so, you know, a lot of people don't understand the importance of a local election. They turn out for the uh, the midterm, they turn out for the presidential elections, but they don't necessarily turn out for the local elections. And now with them on the ballot, and in some cases, you know, with an R beside their name, um, you know, that that changes a little bit. So yeah, so Rebecca's gonna be looking at that for Augusta Free Press. And I'm sure that we have a lot more stories coming up related to those um, topics that we've been talking about today. Um, you also wrote last night about the courthouse issue, and that's an issue that you and Rebecca have kind of jointly been covering this election season. Um, we had somebody actually call yesterday who was kind of upset that he couldn't just vote no on the courthouse, you know. Um, so, you know, it, it previously there had been a referendum, right, where, you know, it was more like, should we do this or not do this and that kind of thing. And um, it turns out that, you know, the court said you have to do this. And so on this particular referendum, it wasn't are we going to do this? It was, um, you know, either choose option A or option B. And of course, option A to stay in, um, to to build a new courthouse in Verona was about what, $40 million cheaper than um, building, uh, than renovating the courthouses in Stanton. So it seemed that Augusta County voters overwhelmingly uh, supported moving the courthouse to Verona. It was a $24 million difference. It was $80 million, roughly 80.3, I think it was, for uh, building a new courthouse in Verona, 103.8 if uh, to, to stay in Stanton, um, because the issues in Stanton are that the the current courthouse is landlocked. It's, it's built into, there's so much directly around it. 
um, the streets and everything else. You, there's no way to physically make that any bigger unless you bought adjacent buildings, which the county was trying to do for many years. Uh, and every time uh, they would come close to an uh, some some solution there, the city would would block their efforts, either, you know, using I think there was a historical commission that, uh, you know, weighed in on one uh, plan that, you know, didn't approve uh, something. And, you know, the then the bank across the street uh, got wind of how desperate the county was and jacked up the price big time, uh, as you should do. It's, you know, capitalism. If if they need something, they need to pay for it. Uh, they have no other option. Um, that didn't work out. Um you know, there's also a floodplain that that kind of plays into it. That that, you know, that downtown area there in the wharf area, as it's called, uh, has flooded significantly a couple times in just the last three or four years, and so you'd have to build it up off the ground a little bit. It just there's a lot of reasons it would cost more to do that. Also, the county's been working for uh, over 30 years to move, um, you know, from downtown Stanton. The, Stanton has been the county seat, you know, dating back to the 18th century, mid 18th century. Uh, for Augusta County, uh, but uh, starting in the late 80s, the the county started moving um, its administrative offices and then other offices, the sheriff's office eventually, the regional jail. I mean, just everything slowly but surely moving from Stanton to Verona. And this was the last piece in the puzzle. Um, you 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 mentioned that there was a referendum in 2016. County voters were asked that year um, whether they wanted to build a 45 million dollar courthouse or a stay in Stanton uh, and uh, you know, we saw the prices. They went up to eighty million or one hundred and four billion. So, yeah. um, six years ago, we would have gotten a pretty good deal. But uh, you know, it is what it is. Now, now the you know, the prices have gone up, and uh, the county voters. You know, you mentioned that one voter who who called, and I talked with him for about ten minutes. Um, he he wanted to vote no to everything. There was really no option to vote. You know, the, the The court um, says something has to be done. It didn't say hey, some, a new building has to be built, but effectively, a new building has to be built either in Verona or Stanton. And so there was no no. There was no I don't want to spend any money. This guy actually was going into great detail about oh, I'm a conservative. I don't want to spend any money. Well, there was you can't do nothing. Um, and so the the county was uh, you know that that that's why this I think vote was different than six years ago. Okay, Chris. So I, I think most people going into this probably thought that that was the option that county taxpayers would choose simply because of the cost between the two. And like you said, things seem to be moving to Verona. Uh, sometimes downtown parking can be a challenge. That won't be as much of a challenge in Verona. So there were a lot of reasons to look at that move. Uh, certainly there was a lot of effort put behind education and educating the voters, you know, prior to the election as well. And not surprising that uh, it kind of turned out the way that it did. Um, also not surprising to most of us who've been covering um, the 6th District Congressional race was that Jennifer Lewis lost to incumbent Ben Klein, uh, the Republican um, in this case. And um, the one thing I was hoping that maybe you could break down for us, Chris, though, was how Jennifer ran compared to her last run against him. Did she run better or worse? I know there were some people that thought that Democrats might run stronger this cycle, in part because Ben Klein has been one of those people who has, um, you know, not gone out against what happened with the insurrection on January 6th. He's been an election denier. And with what happened with the Supreme Court, with Roe versus Wade and the, you know, the case there, uh, overturning that legal precedent. Uh, there have been a lot of um, anger among um, primarily, you know, Democrats, but also a lot of women um, regarding that and, you know, what the potential could be down the road, you know, related to contraception, uh, to the LGBTQ community and their, their ability to marry. Uh, there, there's been a lot of uh, worry. And I think a lot of people were hoping that would translate to votes. 
get it. I don't know the numbers. Yeah, it you know, obviously in this district it didn't. <laughs> That's just just putting it bluntly. Um, uh, you know, she ran in 2018. Uh, she being Jennifer Lewis, the Democratic nominee. That year was an open seat year. Uh, that's what we when we in in political parlance. Um, Bob Goodlatte was retiring that year. Ben Klein was a known entity. He'd been in the House of Delegates for a number of years. I think dating back to 2002. Uh, but um, uh, you know, he was he was the Republican nominee, uh, heir apparent. Uh, he he was a former um, staff member on on Goodlatte's House staff. So he'd he'd been groomed for all that time to to or grooming himself, if nothing else, to run for that seat when Goodlatte would retire. Uh, but that election, uh, you know, it was it was closer. It was uh, Ben Klein got just over sixty percent, uh, or actually just under sixty percent. He got fifty nine point seven percent. Jennifer got uh, forty point two. Um, and so, you know, in this in, in the sixth district, it's that's that's actually a good showing for a Democrat. I hate to say it, I mean. You know, this district's drawn to be a a, 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 a Republican friendly district, uh, to say the least. It's a safe district for Republicans. There's only there's only three districts in Virginia that are um, competitive, and we'll, we can talk about those in a minute. But um, there's 11 congressional districts in Virginia, and and you know basically um, there's very safe Democratic districts in Northern Virginia, and there's very safe Republican districts out our way. You know. Uh, the 29 corridor, the 5th district, the 81 corridor here, uh, the 6th district, and then extreme southwest Virginia is the 9th district, Morgan Griffiths district. Um, those are safe Republican districts. So um, so 40% in 2018 was actually decent for Jennifer Lewis. It was the kind of thing to say, hey, you know, um, if, if you catch lightning in a bottle, you might be able to get 45%. I think that might have been a goal for if, if I were her or one of her, her, her consultants, if she had a consultant, you know, I, I would have said 45% is a goal. Um, if you get to 45%, she's a young person, she could still, uh, you know, if she got to 45%, she might show viability and be able to run again in two years and get some, you know, more money, national money, state money, you know, some more donors and that kind of thing and actually make a run at it. Um, the opponent that uh, that Ben had two years ago, uh, a guy named Nicholas Betts got 35.3%. So, and he, you know, he barely ran. I mean, he, you know, nice guy, um, but, but didn't really run that hard or that much at all. Um, so for Jennifer to get what she got, which was 35.3% yesterday, that's disappointing for her. And that's disappointing for her supporters. Uh, you know, she, she, she declined 5%, you know, from, from where she was four years ago. And she got pretty much what the guy who barely ran two years ago got. So uh, that's disappointing for, for Jennifer, no doubt. And for people who backed her, that's, that's a big disappointment. Okay. Shifting gears. You said you wanted to talk a little bit more about those competitive races in Virginia. You said there were three of those. How did those turn out? Well, this is this is part of the national story. You know, the national story was uh, Democrats had an eight seat advantage going into yesterday's election in the House. But that meant that only um, four seats would have to flip. Five seats would have to flip for Republicans to have a one person, one, you know, one member majority. That's a very small number. Midterm elections tend to go. I think Barack Obama in 2010 lost his the Democrats lost 63 seats that year in the House. Uh, that's, you know, that's usually between 25, 30, 35 seats for the incumbent party in the midterm elections in the House alone. So, you know, only need to have five flip, <laughs> you know, that that it, it was the writing was on the wall that Republicans want to take this election. And it looked like they were going to have 
you know, who knows, a 30, 40, 50 seat majority in the house right now. It's up in the air. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that we're talking three o'clock hour on Wednesday after the election. And, we still don't know who's going to control the house. It's it's almost certainly still going to be the Republicans. We but it's going to be a really small margin. You know, maybe one seat or two or three seats or less than five certainly, um, and uh, that's going to have a lot of impact. Well, I bring that up because you know the 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 three competitive seats in Virginia, uh, which were uh, two Northern Virginia districts, one of which was a surprise uh, uh, seat to be in this in this realm. Jennifer Wexton's seat up in the 10th district. Also, then uh, Abigail Spanberger in the 7th, which is known to be a, a competitive district. She won that race 2018 against Dave Bratt. Dave Bratt, the Republican, had um, actually beat Eric Cantor, the former House Majority Leader, who was the you know presuming presu- presumptive House Speaker in waiting. I think that was back in 2014 that Dave Brad upset him in a primary. I mean, this is this is not just a a Republican district. At least it had been at that time. That was you know the, the people who are are in the House leadership for either party um, are usually people who are in safe districts. So that's that was considered the seventh was considered a safe Republican district. And then Abigail Spanberger in 2018 won it close race. 2020 held it in another close race, um, and her, she was challenged by uh, Republican Leslie Vega. And, uh, uh, you know, people across the country, observers across the country were watching that race. She loses that race. You know, maybe last night's a bloodbath. That's what people were saying. Um, and then uh, down in the second district, Elaine Luria, uh, a, a similar kind of district. Uh, she won it in 2018. It had a, but to that point, it had a pretty long history of being Republican. So uh, Luria also, uh, she ha- she's a member of the House January 6th committee. So. Um, there was that aspect too. Now, Loria of the three, she lost. Uh, she, and it was a relatively cro- close race. Um, she's at 47.9%. So she lost by 12,000 votes, roughly 12,000 votes uh, to Jen Kiggins, a state senator uh, from that area down in the uh, Tidewater area. But the Democrats won the other two. Wexton won uh, her race up in the 10th um, and actually won by a decent margin, just about 6%, uh, a 17,000 vote margin. And then uh, in the 7th District, uh, after trailing most of the night, Abigail Spanberger ended up winning that race by about 11,000 votes by about 4%. So um, so as it turns out, uh, the day started in Virginia with the 11 seats. Virginia had seven Democrats and four Republicans. We end the day with Democrats having a 6-5 advantage in House membership uh, uh, in Congress. So, Chris, I thought maybe um, you could talk briefly just about, typically speaking, the midterms are a reflection of um, the president, but uh, but most times, regardless of how the president, how he may or may not be doing, um, you know, presidential rating, uh, approval ratings are usually in the 40%. And I think Biden is about the same right now. Um, but typically speaking, you know, depending on whatever uh, party is in power, it's usually, um, I think the needle moves in the other direction, right? The other party's direction in the midterms. That's kind of what um, some political analysts, I know I saw Larry Sabato, you know, from the UVA Center for Politics, you know, he was somebody who 
definitely predicted that the Republicans were going to win big yesterday. Um, you know, there's still a lot of races that aren't decided yet, um, but certainly you can't say that it, it's gone as far as a lot of people thought that it might. So waking up today, I think, was probably a surprise to a lot of people. So maybe you could just talk about that historically a little bit and then what you saw. You, you know, I don't, I don't know if everyone knows this, but for political reporters like Chris Graham, Election Day is like Christmas, you know, like so. And it's not just, um, you know, it's, it's not just if the people he's supporting wins. It doesn't matter who wins. It's just the fact of crunching the numbers, watching them come in, the surprises, you know, that kind of thing. One thing about polling these days, and Chris and I talk about this all the time, is just that who answers their phone anymore? Like, how are we getting accurate numbers? Like, um, it's almost like polling has become obsolete. But, you know, Chris, you do have a lot of historical knowledge. So I thought you could just talk a little bit about the midterms typically and, and how you see things now. Well, I mean, as of when we started this this uh, Facebook Live um, roughly 45 minutes ago, I think, um, there were still uh, – the Senate's still very much in play. Um, as of – so I don't know if anything's been called since we started, uh, but um, uh, I believe the, the count was uh, 49 uh, Republican seats, 48 Democratic seats, but the three seats still open uh, – uh, look like they at least two of them may already be leaning Democrat. That's the those are the ones in Nevada and Arizona. Um, right now, the candidate, the Democratic candidate in Nevada is losing, but the um, the the bulk of the outstanding votes uh, are are uh, mail in votes uh, that um, trend usually two thirds Democratic in that state. Um, and also, then in Arizona, um, the um, the Democrat is winning by about five points and is expected to to hold on to at least a good bit of that margin. So if both those seats end up going um, to Democrats, which is possible, at least one of the two is going to go, and I think it's possible both could go. The Georgia special election, uh, the, excuse me, the runoff election that will have to be held between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, I mean, it's it's important to those two candidates, but it won't be for control of the Senate anymore. If, if Democrats get to 50, they won't need to worry about whether or not they win another runoff election in Georgia, like they won both two years ago, um, to get to fifty. So, uh, but there's another avenue. So, if, if Democrats split the uh, Nevada and Arizona, there's still the the, the prospect of of a Warnock uh, Herschel Walker redo because they have the, neither. In, in the state law in Georgia says that a winning candidate has to have fifty percent of at least fifty percent of the vote. Uh, Warnock leads. I think he was at forty nine point two, and and Walker was at forty eight point seven when I last saw the numbers. Uh, but because neither is over 50, they have to have a runoff election. They'll, they'll eliminate the libertarian who got 2.1% of the vote, uh, and then there will just be a two-person race from that stage. Um, uh, and so and, – and the libertarian had been telling uh, people to vote for uh, Warnock, and um, he still got 2.1% of the vote. So presumably you know, that should be advantage Warnock going into that, but of course they have to play the game. Um, and so, yeah, the, the Senate looks like – you know, if I'm calling things right now, I'm calling it for at least a 50-50 split, which would which would give Democrats the majority with uh, Vice President Harris casting tie-breaking votes when necessary. The House is likely. I mean, I'd be I'd be very surprised if the House uh, isn't a small majority, but a, a very small majority for Republicans. And again, um, as of Tuesday at seven o'clock Eastern, um, the presumption from the the chattering classes in politics was. I mean, you mentioned Larry Sabato, Nate Silver from 538. I think his his uh, Nate Silver's call was that uh, Republicans had an 84 percent chance of winning the House and a 60 percent chance of winning the Senate. 
Um, and that's that's less than 24 hours ago. The the presumption was that this was a a red wave was was what we were going to have uh, happening here. You know, Republicans could win a as much as a 53, 47 majority in the Senate. Um, and, and then, you know, as much as a 40 or 50 seat majority in the House. And boy, life was going to be tough for Joe Biden. He's going to he was going to be a a uh, uh for his, his last two years in his first term, uh, hopefully, you know, for Democrats' sake, his first term, because um, that would imply a second term will be coming, uh, that he would be having to work with a, a hostile Republican Congress. Um, at, uh, you know, because if, if, if Republicans have a 40 or 50 seat majority in the House, you know, um, I mean, that's that's you're not going to get anything passed through. If it's a you know, less than five seat majority in the House, all of a sudden, whoever's House speaker on the Republican side has to worry about uh, the uh, two or three people defecting and voting with with Democrats. Uh, and uh, so, you know, you'll have things dragged more towards the middle if that's the case. Um, and just kind of like how Democrats in the Senate have had to, you know, you've seen Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema amplified because it's a with a 50 50 split. If they if they decide not to support something, you're not going to get it passed. So you've got to cater your legislation towards the middle. Republicans will have to do the same thing in the House. So um, very different dynamic than what we thought we'd have less than 24 hours ago. All right, Chris, and I'm going to throw a couple more things at you, and then I'm just going to let you kind of speak as much as you'd like about these. Um, the first one has to do with uh, former President Donald Trump, who said that he may announce in coming days, coming weeks, um, this month sometime, a potential presidential run uh, in two years. And so I'm just curious your thoughts about how this election, you know, he came out and endorsed a number of candidates, spoke out against other candidates. I'm curious how you think this kind of went, because of course he said if his, if his um, candidates won, he should get all the credit, right? That, that's one of those quotes that you've heard over and over and over again on the news. Um, and then I'm also just curious, you know, um, Lauren Boebert and some other like high named um, uh, so, some high profile cases, you know, the Fetterman and Osrays and stuff like that. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about any of those and, and what you see there as well. I'd focus on I'll focus on the, the Trump story uh, a good bit here. Uh, Donald Trump is diminished uh, after yesterday, uh, after last night. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, his high profile endorsements. Uh, they blew up in his face. Uh, now, J.D. Vance won in Ohio. He was going to win in Ohio no matter what. Um, and uh, but Mehmet Oz uh, in Pennsylvania, um, that's a that was a winnable race for for Republicans and any other candidate would have would have won that race as a Republican. Uh, Herschel Walker in Georgia. There's no reason that, um, you know, he, he ran an awful campaign. He should he should the Republican, you know, the, the, the there was a governor's race. Stacey Abrams, who was a darling of the of Democrats nationwide, lost by, I think, eight or nine points in that governor's race. Um, it was a close race four years ago when she ran against Brian Kemp, and, and Kemp blew her out this time. That tells you that Georgia was ready to vote for Republicans last night, yesterday, and they they didn't in Herschel Walker's case. Um, he he lost at, at least five or six points. Uh, he ran five or six points behind Brian Kemp uh, in a, in a statewide race. That's that's just not good. You can't you can't have that. So then, and that's a, that's Trump's fault. Uh, and then also you look down in Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis barely won in 2018 his governor's race. He won by 20 points yesterday against a former governor, Charlie Crist. Um, uh, he, he carried Marco Rubio across the finish line with a big win over Val Demings, a very good Democrat, another national darling Democratic candidate. 
So Ron DeSantis comes out of this as the darling of the Republican side. Uh, and, uh, you know, Donald Trump, I mean, you know, he maybe he should have announced on Monday because he, I think I think his 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 star is fading in that sense. Um, you know, uh, a, a lot of his endorsed governor candidates also lost and some of them spectacularly. Um, so this was a, I think that, you know, as much as you pointed out earlier, Crystal, that, you know, Joe Biden, um, his, his approval ratings. I mean, I'm seeing him in the low 40s, like um, the one that comes to mind, uh, 43 or 44 um, percent. And so normally what you do is if you're the opposing party, the the minority party, you run against that 44 percent and say, you know, don't vote for him. But what happened was um, people are, are just as upset at Donald Trump and he his his approval ratings are in the mid 30s. And so Democrats were able to run against Donald Trump. And and that's how I think that, you know, they were able this is historic. I mean, for Democrats not to have a bloodbath yesterday uh, is 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 definitely something that we haven't seen in in quite a long time in, in American politics. And um, it's a sign that uh, I think that America's weary of Donald Trump. All right, Chris, before we wrap up today, this has been a long podcast, but we kind of expected it to be. There's a lot to talk about um, day after the election. But anything else that you kind of want to add before we wrap up today? Well, you know, uh, we had a meeting, Crystal, you and I and, and Rebecca Barnaby, you mentioned uh, another editor here at Augusta Free Press. We had a meeting last Wednesday. We planned out our post-election coverage um, because, you know, we, we, the writing was on the wall. You knew where things were going. And of course, just like the best laid plans of mice and men, it's all gone astray. Um, we have the city race in Waynesboro that, because uh, you know, we were planning, hey, on Tuesday night, we'll just cover the election results. And then on Wednesday, we'll start writing about what it all means. Well, we don't we don't even have the results done yet because we have Waynesboro with two city council races that are up in the air. Um, we probably have a good idea on the one, but they're both officially up in the air. Um, certainly uh, from the standpoint of the House and Senate at the federal level and national level, that's up in the air. So, um, you know, and, and in fact, my thinking on policy even has changed. You know, uh, we, we were we were talking about we were last week we were talking about how well we'll have to talk about how Republicans, uh, some Republican uh, politicians were, were were mentioning that they wanted to gut Social Security and Medicare. Um, you know, lots of very conservative policies that were being talked about. Now, if the House is as close as it looks like it's going to be, I think that's going to moderate a bit. Um, you know, last week I would have said, let's write about, you know, Trump's going to announce probably next week for president. What impact is that going to have? Now, Ron DeSantis is the star of the Republican Party. So that's different. Um, you know, I, I think Democrats probably have to feel like that they're in a good place compared to where they thought they were even a day ago, much less a week ago. So. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's all it's a different world than I thought I was going to wake up in today. Um, I say all that. Um, I didn't officially go to bed until like three last night uh, or this morning, I should say. You mentioned that uh, uh, Election Day is like Christmas for me. Um, uh, yeah, that's it's it's uh, and I've had two of these days back to back because the first day of college basketball season is yes. also like Christmas <laughs> to me. So right. I am running on fumes right now, but uh, in a good way, because, uh, you know, I, I think that. Yeah, uh, it's not about who wins and loses, just like you know, I cover UVA basketball or UVA football. Um, yes, I want Virginia to win, but I love writing about the game and analyzing and breaking it down and telling you why this happened and why the other thing didn't happen. Same thing in politics. I want Democrats to win, but I also um, you know, just just relish the opportunity to kind of explain um, you know, the different parts of of why things happen the way they do. 
All right, so stay tuned, folks. If you want to know what's happening in Waynesboro, in Stanton, in Augusta County, statewide, nationwide, lots of stories that will be coming as we get more information. So be sure to tune in to AugustaFreePress.com. Uh, read up on what's happened so far. If you listen to this entire podcast all the way through, um, then you got a good feel for where things stand right now, but a lot remains up in the air. So thank you for joining us today. As a reminder, you're always welcome to send us questions or you know insight or any information that you might have by email. You can reach Chris at Chris at AugustaFreePress.com. You can reach me at Crystal at AugustaFreePress.com pretty easy to remember, right? And uh, we're always happy to, uh, to listen to what you have to say and any questions that you may have. So feel free to reach out at any time. And again, we encourage you to continue to read stories we'll have in coming days and weeks on AugustaFreePress.com. Thanks for tuning in.